Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Have you ever desperately called out for the Holy Spirit only to be disappointed in the end? Well, while the power of the Holy Spirit is captivating, it's not why God desires to be with us. In this message, we're going to spend a lot of time evaluating why we want the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because in truth, we might want the Holy Spirit for all the wrong reasons. So grab a Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because this message is entitled, Right Spirit, Wrong Reasons. Do you often credit yourself for being a pretty good judge of character? You know, as a pastor, um, I think being a good judge of character is critical for the position. Um, There have been times, uh, for example, when I haven't been a very good judge of character and I've been taken advantage of. People always asking for money, people always asking for help. Um, But you know, one of the the greatest areas where I have to be a pretty good judge of character is whenever I'm doing premarital counseling. Um, Marital counseling is kind of like a pastor's way of trying to ensure that a couple makes it for the long haul. And it's our opportunity to maybe teach them some lessons before they get married and they have to experience it the hard way. And um, you know, hopefully some people will listen, some people won't, I get that, but um, it's difficult uh, doing counseling because uh, when you try to fill someone out, uh, you ask them, why are you getting married? And everybody responds the same thing, well, because we love each other. Uh, but in truth, there are a lot of reasons why people get married. Many people get married because it's just the next step in the relationship. You know, this is just where we go from here. Uh, some people marry because they're on the rebound. Um, some people marry because they're tired of feeling guilty and receiving pressure from a family member to marry. Um, some people marry for the money. Uh, this, these are stereotypical gold diggers. And um, some people marry for a tax break. Some people some people can just get married because they have a shotgun pointed at their heads. You know, they made a mistake and now daddy ain't happy. And while everybody says till death do us part, what happens to a marriage and to a relationship when you marry for the wrong reasons. You know, um, we've been studying about marriage um, in our Sunday school class for a long time. Uh, We have a marriage and parenting class, and we just go from book to book to book to book. And um, I've heard countless authors say that if, if you believe that you don't marry for the right reasons, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going to end in divorce. However, these authors also strongly recommend that that we must identify these motives and we must take the necessary steps to correct our attitudes about marriage and that that is the key to enjoying a long and happy marriage. Why are these motives so important? Because if you start marriage off for the wrong reasons, you'll most likely find yourselves where you don't want to be. Our motives for marriage have to be evaluated. And in our Sunday school class, we've been studying a book um, called I I Married You, Not Your Family and Other Marital Myths. And the author uh, said she was counseling with a woman who actually came to her and said, I I made a mistake. I think I married the wrong person. And the counselor asked her, well, why do you say that? And the woman responded, well, you know, we slept together before we were married and I got pregnant and it seemed like we didn't have a choice at that point. Now, uh, I think a lot of counselors at this point would shake their head in agreement However, this, uh, this counselor was rooted in God's word, and she told the woman, you know, you think you need to reconsider who you married, but I disagree. Instead of evaluating your spouse, you should instead evaluate why it was that you were having premarital sex in the first place. Because motives are a very powerful thing. Now, I think her point was is that we need to evaluate our agendas and compare them with God's. 
And when you begin a relationship with someone, there's always a reason why you want to get close to that person. Relationships work when both parties evaluate their motives um, and uh, evaluate what kind of baggage they carried into the relationship. And they get on board with God's agenda instead. So weighing our values, weighing our motives, weighing our baggage, really, and uh, holding that up to the light that is God's word. Now, this is not only true of relationships and marriage. This is true of the relationships that followers of Christ share with the Holy Spirit. Now, just for a a minute, imagine what you could do if you could harness the full power of the Holy Spirit. You know, one time I was getting dressed and I was about to go out and, and it's like the Holy Spirit walked past me and he whispered in my ear, I'm about to take someone you love away. And I heard it clearly and it really messed me up. Because when I heard it, I started calling around everyone uh, that, that I love and that I care about and I asked them, are you okay? Uh, and, you know, my parents even asked me, like, why, why are you asking? This is kind of weird. And, and I told them, I told them what happened. And, and so, uh, you know, they, they said, well, you know, we'll be praying for you. And the next day, uh, my parents called me back and said, John, Nancy Kelly, who incidentally was like a grandmother to me growing up, they told me she has cancer and the doctors don't think that she has much time left. Now, this showed me um, that with the power of the Holy Spirit, I could know the future. Um, I could, I, you know, we see in scripture that, that by the Holy Spirit, people are cured from diseases. People are raised from the dead. People outrun chariots. Cowards are able to stand and speak with boldness. Jesus turned water into wine. He walked on water. And, and you know, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are incredible. And, and if you read those, tell me that you wouldn't want to have that kind of power in your life. There's, there's nothing that you couldn't do if you could harness the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, he says, Truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. He says, nothing will be impossible for you. Because of what the Holy Spirit can do, that alone can draw us to him. That was certainly true for Simon the magician. In Acts chapter 8, verses 18 and 19, he says, When Simon the magician saw that the Spirit was given at the laying of the apostles' hands, He offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. So let let me do what you can do. I'll even pay you. Simon was so attracted to the Holy Spirit because of the great power that the Holy Spirit was displaying. Now this is the wrong reason to desire the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In fact, when Simon Peter um, heard this, his respond wasn't, response wasn't very nice. In Acts chapter 8, verses 20 through 21, Simon Peter says, may, you, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Now, I think it's critical that we evaluate why it is that we want the Holy Spirit in our lives, or we might hear the same thing that Simon the magician heard. Um, Francis Chan said in his book, Forgotten God, um, that he once had a man dying of cancer, and he asked all the elders of the church to come around him and pray for him. And uh, Francis Chan said he, he, he did something that he never had done before. He asked this man uh, a very hard question. He asked him, he's like, why, why do you want to be healed? And he said the man and all the elders like looked around him, 
looked looked around and looked at him, and they were just absolutely shocked that he would even ask such a question. But he says he, he probed further. He said, "Why? Why do you want to stay on this earth any longer than you have to?" Now I think this is a hard teaching, but most of the time we want God to work for selfish reasons. It happened with Simon Peter too. I mean, he's not an exception. Simon Peter, when he found out that Jesus was going to go be crucified, he told Jesus, No, Lord, this will never happen to you. But Jesus responded in Matthew 17, 23, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. What Jesus told Peter is that he had all kinds of baggage that he was carrying into his relationship with him. He had a selfish ambition and the agenda of a man not the agenda of God. And this is what makes all this so incredibly difficult. If we are honest, I think we can acknowledge that we all have an agenda for God. We have things that we want God to do. More so, things that we would do if we were God. We want wealth. We want long life. We want healing. We want our loved ones to repent and turn to Jesus. And these things aren't necessarily bad, But they are our agenda, not God's. And we must sincerely ask ourselves, why do we want the Holy Spirit? Even why do we want others to turn to Christ? Is it for selfish gain? Why do we want God to work in our lives? Is it for our own selfish reasons or is it because we we want more of Him and we want to be more like Him? Uh, I love the movie Greed uh, with Michael J. Fox. Uh, He has an uncle that is rich beyond measure, and all of his family is standing around him, chomping at the bits, wanting his money. And so, uh, because his uncle knows about this, he fakes bankruptcy to find out who really loves him for him, and who just wants his money. And if you haven't seen it, I just ruined the ending for you, so you're very welcome. Um, But it's an interesting movie, because it shows us that, you know, sometimes we want others for the wrong reasons. You know, a lot of the times our agenda for the Holy Spirit can drive our enthusiasm for experiencing Him. If the Holy Spirit was a thing and not a person, this wouldn't be so terrible. But we need to recognize that not only is this wrong because He's a person, we must also see that because He is a person, He has an agenda of His own. Now, the Apostle Paul tells us about this agenda in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to begin with verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. It says, now about the, the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. He says, it happened. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one, who, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, we learned something uh, pretty extraordinary about the Holy Spirit here. He says, Apostle Paul says that, is that no one... No one who has the Holy Spirit can curse the name of Jesus, and no one can say by the Spirit that Jesus is Lord. Now, I don't believe he's talking about arbitrary words, but instead the condition of the human heart. The Apostle Paul is essentially saying that we have studied, uh, you know, he's saying exactly what we studied about in other places in Scripture. He said, you know, the Holy Spirit enables us to know Jesus as Lord. The work of the Holy Spirit is to allow us to confess Jesus as Lord. So the main agenda that we see here from the Holy Spirit 
um, is that he, he intends to lead us towards Christ and have us confess and surrender to Jesus as Lord. It's not to be healed. It's not to speak in different languages. It's not to do miraculous things and raise people from the dead. It is to confess Jesus as Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse uh, 4 through 7, chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, it says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works them in all men. Listen to verse 7. It says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for common good. You know, I believe the reason the Apostle Paul was writing this letter uh, to the first, first the Corinthian church um, is because um, they were divided. They were having arguments and, and fights. And from his letter, we believe that we we can see that these people were divided because they argued that their spiritual gifts were superior to another person's. And Paul wrote them and reminded them that although there were several gifts of the Spirit, there was only one Holy Spirit. And the irony here is that they had allowed these gifts of the Spirit to divide them uh, because of misuse and manipulation, which if you think about it, isn't that much different from the way that Christian churches have an absurd number of divisions and denominations today. We don't like the way that you exercise the Holy Spirit over there or abuse it. But the Holy Spirit, think about this, it doesn't, He doesn't seek to divide us. He seeks to unite us. And in verse 7, we see that the Holy Spirit works for common good. In other words, Paul is telling them there is no favoritism in the Holy Spirit. He equips us with spiritual gifts, and while some seem cooler than others, they are so we can serve one another and build up the church. In verse 8 through 11, it says, To one there is given uh, through the Spirit of the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge, by means of the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, um, and to another to distinguish between the spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of those tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. That's what he says. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. What we just saw there, the Apostle Paul says there are a lot of spiritual gifts, but there is one spirit and he has an agenda. We believe from scripture that there are 18 gifts of the Holy Spirit, although I don't believe that this is a comprehensive list. For example, uh, I've, I've experienced people who are very gifted spiritually at um, sharing worship and leading worship. And it's necessary for the church to function. However, we don't see that in Scripture. So I don't think this is a comprehensive list. Um, but what I ask you to pay attention to is not the gifts themselves, but the motives by which the Holy Spirit distributes these gifts. No matter what spiritual gift a person has, each are distributed by the Holy Spirit for his motives. The Holy Spirit decides what these gifts will be. And in verse 11, it shows us that the Holy Spirit has that agenda. So it's not like we arrive on a scene and we call the Holy Spirit like He-Man charged his sword for battle. We don't lead the Holy Spirit with our agenda. The Holy Spirit leads us with His. And two things we need to keep in mind about these spiritual gifts that He distributes is that each gift, when properly used, is not self-serving, but they serve the whole of body, the whole body of Christ. They they edify the body. 
The second thing we need to understand about that is that each gift becomes useless if it's not practiced in love. Now, we have agendas for the Holy Spirit. I think it's clear. Sometimes we desire the Holy Spirit for the purpose of bringing attention to ourselves. And this was certainly true for the Corinthian church. They were trying to use the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for their own glory. They were interested in what God was doing uh, for them, not what God was doing for others. They were interested in showing off what God was doing for them. And I think this is so tough because as the Holy Spirit makes himself known in our lives, he gives us spiritual gifts. And with these gifts comes temptation, uh, the, the temptation of craving more attention. It's not enough to do good works. We want people to see us doing good works. Now, um, in the spirit of being transparent, I want you to know that I struggle with this quite often. We know that from Scripture that preaching and teaching is a spiritual gift, or our spiritual gifts, I should say. And I believe that God has blessed me with these gifts. But when I exercise these gifts, I have often heard people praise me for it. John, you did such a great job. Uh, you know, this is excellent, a good, good sermon, whatever. And to be honest, um, much of the time, this praise can go to my head, and I want to hear more of it. But preaching to get glory and teaching to get glory and praise is not the right motive to exercise these spiritual gifts. And the older I get, the more God is teaching me to see these gifts from his perspective. Uh, Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And when God moves, it's not us that get, should get the glory. This, script, this passage of Scripture tells us it is Him. It is Him that should get the glory. And on the day of Pentecost, think about this. People didn't walk around praising the disciples for learning a new lang language in a matter of seconds. No, everyone was praising God and wanting to know more about Jesus Christ. The only right agenda to desire the Holy, Sp Holy Spirit's power in our lives is when we want no glory for it. And, and you know, we can, we can also seek the Holy Spirit not just because we want to bring attention to ourselves, but because we're hunting for a miracle. Now, I, I've yet to meet someone who didn't want to see a miracle. And yes, I do believe they still happen. And when a miracle takes place, it cannot be explained by natural means. Who wouldn't want to see something that can't be explained by natural means? Unfortunately, I've often fallen, fallen into the trap of wanting a miracle more than I want a God. God calls us to pursue Him, not what He can do. And consider this, no one miracle in Scripture was pursued by the church. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he puts an emphasis on desiring the fruit of the Spirit, not the gifts. Scripture tells us that we should, we should desire becoming more like Jesus, not miracle hunting. And when miracles in Scripture happened, it, it was because the followers of Christ were being obedient to God and were focused not on a miracle, but on serving Him and loving others. God wants us to trust that um, these miracles, He will provide them when He sees fit. In truth, I'd love to see a miracle. However, miracles are always a means to an end, not the ends in themselves. The end is not healing a person's body or raising them from the dead. It, it is healing a person's soul. For example, when Jesus healed a lame man, he first told him, your sins are forgiven. And when the Pharisees became indignant because only God could forgive sins, and here Jesus was saying he, he, you know, he forgave this man's sin, Jesus stood up and he proved that he had the authority to heal the lame man and, and to forgive his sins by telling him, get up, take your mat, and walk. Pick up your mat. Go. 
And this point, I think that Jesus was trying to tell us is, is that the miracle was the means to get people's attention and to show others that he was and is the Son of God. And when the Holy Spirit sees an opportunity to communicate this message clearly to someone who would otherwise not hear it, that is when he works a miracle. Now, it is frustrating because there are times in my life when I wish I could command the Holy Spirit and not the other way around. All around us, there are those who are suffering, people who are lost in addictions, those who are wandering and getting, getting into worse shape than they were in before. And I'll admit, much of the time, I don't understand God's motives for allowing all this to happen. And if it were up to me, I would snap my fingers and I would bring a miracle to their doorsteps. But the truth is, is that it's not up to me. It's up to God. And it puts me at a crossroads. I must either lose heart, lose faith, and take matters into my own hands, or I must surrender to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and trust that God knows what he's doing. In truth, we all need to run from the temptation to conjure up miracles that God never promised to give. We are called to focus instead on the priorities that he has outlined for us in Scripture and to ask the Holy Spirit to empower us as he sees fit. And it's not a bad thing to want the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. No, that's a good thing. However, however, however we must take an honest approach to evaluate whether we want the gift more than we want the giver. Because truthfully, the Holy Spirit is not some passive power that we can wield as we choose. The Holy Spirit is a person, and He requires that we submit to Him and that we must be, be led by Him. The ugly truth is, is that our, heart, uh, you know, our hearts are, are, are deceitful, and, and we constantly, we consistently look for ways to use God. And I think it's human nature to become obsessed with the gifts that God gives us. Because the Apostle Paul says that everything that we need is found in Christ. And we think, well, I want, I, want, I want a new way to provide for myself. And so, God, I put my hands together and I bow my head and I pray, God, do this for me. But God, God shows us that Jesus is infinitely greater than anything else that we could ever need or want. Think about it. Jesus wants us to experience life to the fullest. He's not some cosmic killjoy who wants to ruin all our fun. He has the very best intentions for us. And the things that we want apart from Jesus, Scripture tells us they're not good. They're not good for us. They're not good, period. So while we often think it would be nice to use the Holy Spirit for our gain, in truth, it would be the worst thing for us because we don't have in mind the things of God. You know the worst thing that God could do? to turn you over to your, to your own sinful desires. But God doesn't do that. God, our Heavenly Father, he, he loves us. You have everything you'll ever need in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have all of the love that you seek and you desire. And not only that, He's given us the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. And through the Holy Spirit, we shouldn't be afraid to ask for things in prayer. That's not the point. But also, we should submit to God and believe that He will give us only what is good. I love the movie Bruce Almighty uh, with Morgan Freeman and Jim Carrey. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, the main character, Bruce, who's played by Jim Carrey, he thinks that he can run the universe better than God, who's played by Morgan Freeman. 
And so God gives him the opportunity to be God. He says, okay, you think you can do a better job than me? All right, tell you what, I'm going to give you all of the power that comes with being God. And while um, Bruce supernaturally trains the dog to use the toilet and, and, and he gets that dream job that he always was looking for, he also almost burns the place to the ground. So the next time you, you're you're asking for the intervention of the Holy Spirit in your life, I would challenge you to take a step back and ask yourself, why? Why do I want this gift? Do I want it for my own selfish purposes and reasons? And furthermore, if I don't get what I'm asking for, will I continue to trust that God is out for my good? Now I can see that I owe the Holy Spirit a huge, huge apology. Because in truth, I, I've tried to use him for my own gain. But God is faithful and he is just, and his gifts are always good. And while we should enjoy those gifts, we should remember that the giver is even better. Thus, we should enjoy him even more. Romans 8, 5 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according, in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The Holy Spirit desires that we have a close walk with Him. And when we submit to Him, we will. So just give it some thought. Why do you want Him? Just like how you can move into a marriage for all the wrong reasons, we can move into a relationship with the Holy Spirit for all the wrong reasons too. Ask God to evaluate your heart and to show you your motives for wanting Him. I'm confident that when you ask God for help, that not only will He cut you to the quick, but He will contrast your heart and your will with His, and He will begin molding and transforming you into the person He wants you to become. I want to end today with a prayer, but I want to begin that prayer with a prayer that is found in Scripture. And it was penned by a man in the Bible who was said to be a man after God's own heart. So we can trust that this is God's will for us. It was penned by King David in Psalms 51 verse 10. This is what it says. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. May you do the same thing with us, God. And forgive us when we try to use you and exploit you for our own personal gain. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for having mercy on us. Thank you for giving us good gifts. And Father, thank you for the greatest gift of all, Jesus, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Teach us to never take you for granted and to seek your ways above ours. Give us peace knowing that you have our good in mind. And give us faith so that we can trust you all the more. And it's in all these things we, we, that we pray. In your precious son Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. 
And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.